Hello, grace and peace. We're taking anarchy to church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, aka IONCAP, and as you can see, no Jeff. We are Jeffless this week. Um, see, uh, we 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 had this whole plan for for the night, uh, but then Jeff came down with consumption. I mean, he never was like specific about what his sickness was but i guess i just assumed it was a old coal miners disease um so for more pre-show banter or in this case pre-show newsapalooza tune into preambling number 34 but now back to the show this is our um where we would normally start, or really, we, we wanted to finish this tonight. We were going to finish the um, London Lyceum podcast. We were just going to bury it, put it behind us. We have, I'll tell you what, uh, David, who uh, went to buymeacoffee.com slash flyover and um, gave us $5 and requested this uh, podcast, he has gotten his money's worth. I'll tell you, um, but we're not going to finish it this week because we're not um, here um, because Jeff's not here and I'm not going to do it without him. Um, but I thought I'd do something really weird. We're going to do a Bible study. I know, right? Doing a Bible study on the anarchist Bible study. What a crazy idea. Um, but <laughs> the reason I'm doing this is because um Partly because I just wanted to do it. I just want. I, I, I've got the. I've got the mic for the week. I just want to study the text, and um, I've been studying Genesis twenty three. I know it's such a weird chapter to be studying, right? Sarah's death and burial. But the reason I've been studying that is because I'm going to be preaching that this coming week. Um, if this come today as as I'm recording this, it is um past midnight uh on monday but um by the time this comes out it'll be wednesday and i'm I, it's coming up um this week so if you wouldn't mind or when it comes out it'll be either wednesday or friday so if wherever you are when you're hearing this if you would pray for me i'm going to be preaching uh the gospel uh <laughs> um but but this morning because we're go because we preach expositorily through books of the Bible this morning we had a actually a guest preacher preach on Genesis 22 um the famous passage on the sacrifice of Isaac and i'm going to because it's been so long since we've done this and by the way after the London Lyceum after we finish this this episode of the London Lyceum we are getting back into revelation it's actually happening. I know it's it's been rumored that we were doing a study through Revelation, and um, we're going to prove those rumors true. And we're getting re- we're going to get back into Revelation. Um, but but the way we do this, the way we have been doing this, is we'll read a text, kind of like the way we would preach a text. Is we're going to read the text, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into it verse by verse. Um, and I have some specific things that I want to bring out. And actually I have one specific goal. I do have a specific goal, which is specifically to talk about, um, the way original audience context and Christ centered context can work together. And in fact, how, how the one can so naturally work into other to the other. And this one is a particularly 
a great example of the way that works. Um, because, because, okay, so, so here's something, <laughs> uh, long time listeners might, might notice is that, um, Jeff and I disagree so amicably that sometimes you might not even catch that we're disagreeing. <laughs> Like we, we, we disagree so rarely. And when we do so, we disagree so amicably that it seems like like you might not even notice that we're disagreeing with it. And there was a little bit of an almost disagreement about this subject, um, where he, he's very much on the, the pro Christ centered hermeneutic side. And, um, I have some, some pushback against that hermeneutic. Not because I don't believe in it, because I've seen it maybe go a little too far. And and so I really pushed back with an emphasis on the original context. Um, and so there was actually a little bit of, of, of back and forth between he and I. And again, we did it so amicably and kindly that maybe people missed that we were kind of disagreeing. Um, and, and honestly, we probably were not disagreeing as much as, um, uh, you know, some of the more extreme examples of these positions, but, but ultimately I do believe in the Christ centered hermeneutic. I believe that Christ is correct when he said that you search the scriptures because you believe in them, you have eternal life and they bear witness to me. So I agree that Jesus is correct, that the scriptures bear witness to him. And that when he spoke to uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, that that he, as he exposited the scriptures, he opened the law and the prophets and the Psalms to them, showing that they all pointed to him, that they all pointed to him, that Jesus is the, the goal of scripture and that he is the center of the central goal of ever, of, of the text. Um, but I think in the same way that, that, you know, when, when a person first becomes a Calvinist, they see predestination literally everywhere and every single Bible study somehow ends up back at Romans nine. Um, I think many of those who have re found the Christ centered hermeneutic, uh, rediscover that Christ centered hermeneutic have taken it too far or have really what they've ended up doing is, is a Christ allegorizing hermeneutic, uh, an allegorizing hermeneutic. And in fact, sometimes this chapter, chapter 22, um, has taken that approach. And yet, um, it was interesting is you can get to the same place that a lot of the allegorizing of this text gets to, but you have to take your time to go through the various stages. Like I, I often say when I'm, when you're reading, when you're reading an old Testament text, especially there's, there's stages of meaning you have to go through. The first stage of meaning is knowing what do these events mean to the people in the story that they're happening to. You have to stop and say, what is it? What does it mean to the people that that's happening to? And then you take to the next level of asking, and what did it mean to the original audience to whom it was written? And you're going to, and you're going to find that the, the first is going to lead into the second because the person writing that second writing from that second perspective is presenting, uh, this story from their perspective, from the perspective of this 
the perspective they're 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 looking from for a reason. They're bringing something out of it that is going to apply to the context that they're writing to. And then the next phase you want to go through, and this this phase is I, I call it phase two point five because sometimes you skip over it because sometimes you'll find texts that are not not widely used, but you would ask the next phase is how is this text used over the history of the old Testament scripture? How is it used in the history of Israel? Like how do the prophets draw on this subject? How do the historical books draw on this subject? How do the, do, does this, does this text get quoted in the Psalms? Things like that. And then you ask the, the, the third question, which is what, how do we read this text from a Christ centered context? And you're going to find if you go, if you do the work of understanding the original context and original story, then when you get to the Christ centered context, it is not going to feel forced, which that is a problem that I've had with many, with many Christ centered hermeneutical people is that the Christ application and the Christ centering feels forced. Um, and really like really, um, the Simeon trust, um, David Helm has this, this, this diagram that I think really helps us to understand that most Christ centered people, like the, the way that his diagram is that, you know, sometimes a straight line is not the fastest path. And his, his say, his way of saying is from text to context or text to audience. Um, we, the, we, we sometimes want to take the text and just preach it right to the audience without doing the hard work of first, you go up to the original context It's called exegesis going to the original context and then taking from the original context through a theological context. So applying it on a, in a theological grid. And that's really the, the Christ centeringness is talking about. And, and then from there, you can you're ready to preach the text to to your audience, but but frankly, we like to skip steps. We just like to skip steps. The, and then I think the Christ centered hermeneutic more than uh, Christ centered hermeneutic followers are often most at risk of skipping the exegesis step and going right to theological application. In which case, they become allegorizers instead of um, preachers of the text. So that's that's my preamble. Um, and, and so I'm going to read this text and we're going to work through the text and see the way that the two are actually not in competition, but are in fact, um, but are in fact work together so well for the text. And by doing the hard work, we can get to the same conclusion, but it will not feel as forced. So after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offerings and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, or, or the, the footnote says young man, the footnote actually, yeah, or young man. So, so we, we picture a small boy, but you know, young man is a, is a broad range of possible ages. Um, we'll go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and said, 
burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, so they went both of them together. And Isaac and Isaac said to his father Abraham, "My father." And he said, "Here I am, my son." And he said, "Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering?" Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the off the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And a lot of times we picture this as raising over your hand, but remember the way they slaughtered would be cutting the throat. So he's holding the, the knife to his child's throat. That's important. Um, to be able to visualize that. Um, and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, Yahweh will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of Yahweh, it shall be provided. We're going to get into some of the Hebrew of that. Um, so this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, let he who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And since I am the only one here, I will pray over the text. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open your word to us, show us who you are, who you always have been, who Christ is, and who Christ has always been. Teach us how to handle your word rightly by showing us um, how to handle this text rightly. Um, may your spirit open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. And may it serve as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path that we may not sin against you. Pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. So. I stopped at verse 14 because the you know, verses 15 through 24 is kind of a transition and kind of talking about the rest of his family and stuff, stuff like that. But um, you, you start with this, this question of testing Abraham and, and in the, in the pot, in the episode that's going to be coming out later, um, you know, tomorrow or Monday for, for audio listeners. Um, it, we we get I got into the, this question of um, of what testing means according to the book of Proverbs, but but it says God tested Abraham and and said to him Abraham and he said here I am now that that word behold me is is kind of in Hebrew hineni uh, um, be, behold me um, that you're gonna see it comes up again and again it's a repetition behold me behold me behold me or behold. And so there's there's a lot of beholding, um, and that matters because then um, the word for provide also literally, if you look at the the is is literally will see. That's going to be a, 
um, important because um, while Mariah, it's not clear, it, it, it sounds like the same word for to see. Um, but, but he tells him to go to the land of Moriah and offer your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So he is telling Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now we know something that Abraham doesn't in this case, we know that God is not a God who asks us to offer our children up as sacrifices. We know that's a mark of, of false gods. So we know something that Abraham does not know. This is not something that has been written down for, for Moses or, has been, or for, for Abraham or has been spoken to him. Um, and in fact, the original readers of this book would have known that as well. We don't know. We know something that he doesn't know. And also, you know, the, the text, it, Moses is giving us details that Abraham doesn't know, which is specifically that God is testing Abraham. All Abraham knows is that he is being asked to go offer the son of the promise whom he had been waiting for, whom he doubted would ever come at some points. And he's been asked to offer this son up as an offering. Abraham, who is so old that, that, that he's, he's on the verge of death, Sarah, who is literally on the verge of death, chapter 23, she's going to die very shortly after this event. And so it, to, the, thinking there's no take backs. And so the question is, is Abraham, who has not always been a, a, a faithful person, is he going to trust now? Like he's failed a lot in this short section, relatively short section of scripture. Like he has not once, but twice denied that his wife was actually his wife, but called her his sister. And, and in both times he did not correct the incorrect assumptions of those who have taken them, taken her out of his camp into her, their house as a wife. Though in both cases, the Lord has prevented them from, from, laying a hand on Sarah, but he has not always been faithful. He has not always answered God's calling with obedience. And yet he is still the one who is the father of all who are faithful because in chapter 12, verse one or chapter 12, verse three, it says he believed God when he made the promise of the covenant and it was accounted to him. It was counted to him as righteousness. And that important verse becomes applied in the new Testament to, to say, this is why, um, the just justification by faith alone is built upon that evidence or that instance of, of, of Abraham as the man of, of justification by faith. But um, in, in, in this, in, in this instance, Isaac, Abraham does something that he has not always done, which is he, he takes, he takes the step of faith. He takes the, he steps out in faith to trust God. Um, Hebrews 11 actually fills out um, what, what Abraham was thinking about this is that there was a, a trust in Abraham that God could bring back his child from the dead. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us is that he trusted that God could bring back his child from the dead. Cause you think about it. That's the only option. 
That's the only option. If, if God has said to him that he will have a child and that child will come through Sarah, Isaac's the only option left. Sarah is, is basically dead. He is not far. He's certainly far from his childbearing years. And, and the only option on the table is that if God really asks him to sacrifice Isaac, that God must be able to bring him back from the dead. Like that's, that's kind of, it seems like that's, that's what Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is, is reading between the lines to say. Um, but he, so he takes up the offering, the, the chance, and he goes to the land of Moriah. F- file that away in your memory that that's where it's going. It's the land of M- Moriah and says, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Um, so Abraham rose in the morning. He travels three days. And you think about that in those three days, like what's got to be going through Abraham's head in those three, in that three day journey. Um, but then eventually he arrives at the mountain. He lifts up his eyes and sees the mountain from afar. And he leaves behind his, his, his servants goes up with his son, carrying the wood up the hill and ties. They tie him down. Um, and it's about, and, and, and he's, he's holding that knife. He's not holding it over his head. He's holding that knife to his child's throat. And you gotta, you gotta like, like, just picture that for a moment. Like, picture that for a moment. I, I actually, um, I, I dramatically uh, re, uh, recreated the scene with my own children this morning. And I didn't have a, I, I, took, a, I took a plastic knife. It wasn't a real knife. <laughs> it was a plastic knife. And I just, I said, what are those? But then I, I, I just, I, I sat, I stopped there and I, I showed him, like, I said, think about this. Like, this is, this is a father with a child that he loves, his his child of promise, the child he waited for, the child of his old age. And like, think about it. his hand holding that knife is going to be shaking. Like, he's he's wondering, am I really going to have to do this? And he's he's wondering if I go through this, am I is is God gonna is God gonna give me back my child, give me back my child from the dead? And this is something actually that my that the preacher this morning, the guest preacher preached us this morning, pointed out to us. And I don't think that I ever notice i never caught that before is that it says that abraham tied him to the altar it doesn't say that he had to wrestle him down it doesn't say that he had to subdue his son and wrestle him down to tie him to the altar and again that's why i'm I'm pointing out that young and the boy could mean young man like there's a there's a broad range of of ages there but but certainly he's a, a man enough that he could fight back against his old father, his elderly father. It doesn't say he has to wrestle him down. He didn't need to hold him down. That his son willingly. So is he, is, is Isaac in this moment trusting Abraham or is he trusting God or both? But, but he willingly allows himself to be tied to the altar. And then there's that that tense moment where you're wondering, and and, and Abraham is wondering if God's going to really make him go through with this. And and the 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 reader think of think of this. You're reading this for the first time. You're like, is God going to allow him to do this abominable thing of offering up his own son? 
um, which, which we know is an abomination to offer up a sacrifice of your own child to a God is an abominable sacrifice. It's, the thing, it's one of the things by which the, the original readers knew that, that God said that this is one of the things that they have stained their land with is, is the child's sacrifices. So they, is he going to allow it? But then the angel cuts through the, the moment, speaks, calls out and says, Abraham, and then Abraham, just like he said before, says, Hineni, behold me. Behold me, here I am. Says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. And then he turns around. Says, Abraham lifted up his eyes. So he saw and he saw. He looked and behold, behind him was a ram. Behold, a lamb. Behold, that behold again. And, and, but, but that, what is it? It's, it says he saw it and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son in the place of his son. Um, oh yeah, there's, there's just, it, it's, it's this beautiful replacement that this, this wonderful moment of, of God's restoring Isaac to him. And this is where, uh, Hebrews 11 says, um, that he trusted that God could give him back his son from his dead, which he did figuratively speaking in a sense, God did give him back his son from the dead. And he, by replacing him with a, a ram now, that's step one. What's going on with the people in the story? How are they feeling the story? How are they experiencing the story? This we tell, we're told what Abraham thinks of the story. He says, this is the place where the Lord will provide or literally will see the Lord will see Yahweh Yira. Um, via the German, we've corrupted this to Jehovah Jireh, but uh, you know, the J is a, is actually a Y. Yahweh or Yovah, um, if we're using the modern Hebrew pronunciation of the, 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 the wow is actually a vav in the modern pronunciation, but Yahweh, Yovah, Yira, Yahweh will see. Yahweh will see that Yahweh sees everything. All the behold me, behold me. Here I am. Behold me, behold me, behold me, behold, behold, behold. Um, all of this, that the Lord sees all of it and sees to it. Like that's, that's a phrase that we see. We, we say that this is what, what providence is, is seeing to it, making sure it gets taken care of. And that's what, what Yahweh sees to it. Um, to take care of it. Um, um, on the mount, and then it says, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, on the mount of Yahweh, Har Yahweh, Bahar Yahweh, it will be seen. Yira, it will be provided. Or it could be said, he will be seen. So I'm going to look at that text. I'm going to look at that. Let's, let's look at that. Let's, let's zoom in on that. Um, on that text. Um, specifically, let's look at this. And, and he called Abraham. This is from, this is Bible hub right here. Biblehub.com. Um, I bought um, logos Bible software um, a long time ago. I, I sunk a lot of money into it. And so unfortunately I can't go back, but if I could go back, 
I would have just gotten Bible. I would have just used Bible Hub. So Bible Hub is like everything you need in Logos Bible software in a paid Bible software on a free website. Man, I'm like, okay, sure, sure. There's some things you can get from Logos or from Bible Works or from Accordance that you can't get from from Bible Hub, but honestly, not much. Like this, it's a great website, BibleHub.com. I'm a huge fan of that website um, as an exegetical resource. Um, but it says, and he called, and Abraham called Shem Hamachom, the name of the place that Hahu, the name of that place, Yahweh Yera, Yahweh will see, will provide. Yera, let's 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 open this up. The Strong's Concordance it links right to there. Ra'a means to see, and so this seeing is is the the main is, is the main interpretation so provide is an is a a um metaphorical application of the verb which doesn't doesn't mean it's an improper translation just but I, but i think getting the literal is going to is going to matter because when it then it says as it is said asher uh, my hebrew is not as good as my greek i'm going to warn you right away um hayom to this day uh, to this day, Bahar Yahweh Yaareya Yaare. It shall be seen on the mountain of the Lord. It shall be seen. And and uh, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna see. Look at this. this is a nifal imperfect. Um. See this? The, it par it parses everything for you too, man. Just such a great website man y'all y'all spend time on this but but it's a it's an imperfect and so it shall be seen or literally it's a masculine he shall be seen this is why this is where they get this idea of 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 yahweh will be seen from his mountain could also be a a translation of it and yet there's probably something to the providing he's talking about the providence and yet i think there might be a play on words here like um wordplay is pretty common in 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 the Hebraic scriptures, the old the old testament. So so there is um so 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 what is okay again let's ad address the original context. Who is this written to? Now I've um I, I don't I I first of all I don't have the expertise and second of all I don't have the time to get into all the reasons why I believe um, that Genesis is written to specifically um, the second generation of the wilderness. Um, there's, there's, I think there's, for one thing, it's the stories, um, the the direction of the stories, namely, especially in the in the Abrahamic narratives, this common theme of don't go back to Egypt, stay in the land. Um, uh, there, there's a there's a common theme of that. Hagar's an Egyptian. Uh, one of the times where they almost fall into sin, or, uh, where, where he lies about his his wife is in Egypt. Um, don't go back to Egypt. Nothing good happens in Egypt. And and uh, remember this: the first generation was constantly tempted to go back to Egypt. Um, but but so re speaking to the second generation, reminding them: don't fall into your parents' um, sin sinful practices of going back to Egypt. Um, 
but 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 I believe Genesis was written probably fourth, probably the second to last book written. Um, the last book being Deuteronomy, because and when I say that because someone else had to uh, put the ending on it to talk about Moses' death. Obviously, Moses could not write about his own death. Um, someone else had to put the ending on it. Joshua, another scribe, who knows? Someone um, had to compile all of these messages of some people uh, think it's uh, sermons by Moses compiled together, put it together, whatever the case neat bow on it. But, but Genesis was, was probably the last thing written taking and, but, but that's not to say that these stories are all original to Moses, that Moses is making them up. These would have been stories that have been passed around. Moses is probably taking all of these stories together all of these stories and, 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 and probably attempting to, by writing this, he's attempting to preserve the oral history of Israel. These stories that they all know and have in common, he's going to put them together. And yet, because he's writing to a specific audience, he is going to, he's writing to them about with an eye to the concerns that they have as the people who are going to go into the land. And so it says, um, and so, so you think, think about the question you could ask, the question you could, you, you could ask in this story, who is Israel in this story? Who, who is Israel in this story? Are they Abraham making the sacrifice or are they, or are they Isaac who is about to be sacrificed? I'm going to leave this question hanging a little bit. Give you some time to think about it. Who is Israel in the story? Are they Abraham offering the sacrifice? Are they Abraham was being tested by being asked, are they willing to sacrifice? Or are they Isaac who, um, who, who is about to be sacrificed? And the answer is both. They are both. Like they are Abraham. They are the heirs of Abraham. And so they are Abraham. They are the children of Abraham who like Abraham are going to be tested by God and asked to make some sacrifices. And they're going to be asked to do things that are, they're, they're going to be asked to offer up sacrifices. And they're going to be tested by the Lord. But also, and I want to make sure that you, that, that we are clear about this. They are literally Isaac in the story. Like, I don't, I don't mean this. This is not an allegory. I'm not making an allegorical interpretation at all. I mean, they are literally Isaac in the story. Like if Abraham goes ahead and kills Isaac, there is no Israel. Who is Isaac? And Isaac is going to, in, in chapter 24, uh, find his wife Rebecca, and through Rebecca, he's going to have Jacob and Esau. Jacob is going to be renamed Israel. That is Israel. Israel will have the twelve tribes out of him, and the twelve tribes will populate Israel in Exodus, and the Exodus will. There is no Israel. 
The people hearing this story do not exist if Abraham actually sacrifices his child. Assuming that God doesn't give him back from the dead. Israel is literally Isaac in this story. They are literally the ones on the altar about to be executed. And they are the ones who God provides a ram in exchange for. Do you see where I'm going with this? Remember, this is written after the tabernacle has been built and they have instituted the sacrifices. They've been instituting the sacrifice. Every time they stop and make camp, they set up the tabernacle and they set up the altar and they set up the, the basin for washing. They set up the, the, the incense for, for filling the, the tabernacle. They're, they're putting the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacles, Holy of Holies. Every single, t- they, they are offering sacrifices in the midst of their camp where Yahweh will be seen. Yahweh makes his presence seen in that tabernacle where Yahweh will be seen. He is seen there and they are offering sacrifices there. And if it wasn't clear before by the fact that these sacrifices were in response to their sin, to satisfy to that the God to satisfy God's wrath against them against their sin for purification. If it wasn't clear before that this sacrifice is a substitution. This story makes it clear. This story makes it clear. Israel, you are both the sacrifice offer offerer. You're the ones literally offering up a sacrifice on the altar. You are the ones bringing ox and rams into the, into the midst of the camp to the tabernacle. And you are sacrificing that animal on the altar. Well, the priest on your behalf is sacrificing that animal on the altar. And this is a substitution for you. You are Isaac who should be sacrificed and you are Abraham who is offering up the sacrifice. So, so to the original context, see, I haven't had to allegorize at all and yet you're already making the connections. (laughs) You're already making the connections. I can feel you making the connections to Christ, but, and I haven't had to allegorize it at all. It is on the face of the text. When you just take into account the original audience, is this is I'm, I'm like honestly the the same experience we had when we went through um, judges uh, the, the end of the book of judges um, I forget which episodes they were on that was also in response to um, someone uh, someone donating money uh, particularly Patrick Patrick donating money to request a topic it was requested that we go through um, the 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 judges cycle um, with the the Levite and his concubine and we decided we needed to go a story back before that before we were able to get into that one to get into every occasion where it says um, there was no king in Israel. And we showed there in that situation too, that on the face of the text, that the text is obviously driving toward not just a king in general. It's not talking about 
that they needed to have a political hierarchy, namely a king. They weren't talking about that. They were pointing to a specific king, namely the Davidic king, where which makes the Christ connection very easy because Christ is the better David, the ultimate David. In this case, once again, the I don't have to allegorize to get to Christ because there it is on the face of it. And it gets even easier when you remember where this takes place. Where does this take place? Let's look at Gen, uh, 22 verse 2. And he said, this Yahweh said, take now, kana, take now. Now, it can mean now or please. It depends on context. It really depends on context. Um, take now, benecha, your son, yet uh, your one and only, your only son, your only, it's not even like son we're adding. It's your son, your only whom you love and uh, whom you love. And then at this is the, the direct object marker, namely Isaac and go to the land of Moriah, ha Moriah, the land of Moriah and offer him there as uh, as a burnt offering is a whole lot like literally is a whole offering but but we knew it's it's by burning it because you you don't uh, in the case of a burnt offering you leave nothing left to eat um, either by the priests or by the sacrificer you offer up the whole thing and that in, in particular was a what we would call a propitiatory offering um uh the other offerings, there, there's, there's some of it that sometimes the offerings was, was a fellowship meal that you would yourself eat of. Sometimes it was just for the priest. Uh, there's a wave offering portion, but this was a whole burnt offering, all of it up to God, all of it offered to God, burnt up, um, upon one of the mountains, upon one of the, um, harim, which I will tell to you. It's Moriah. Moriah. Well, well, here's right here. We go to Strong's Concordance, which I've actually already pulled up. Moriah. This is a this is kind of a rare one. And there's an uncertain derivation, but we do know just looking at it, if you're looking at it, um, Yira is kind of like if if it's not part of the derivation there seems to be some kind of a wordplay going on here yara this this um moraya yara um but this this word this, this this name of a location um we find two occurrences of it um moraya found it's found in two places one genesis 22 which we're like 22 verse 2 and Second Chronicles three one. Here we see, and began Solomon to build the house of Yahweh in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, on the Mount of Moriah. The Mount of Moriah, which Yahweh. On which Asher, where uh, which or where he had <laughs> uh, 
Nira. What is that word? What is that word? I want to. Oh, there it is. Ra'a. Where Yahweh was seen to David. Where Yahweh made himself seen to David, his father, that he had prepared the place of David on the threshing fold of uh, threshing floor of Ornan on the Jebusite. So this is, this is the mountain of Zion. This is where the temple was built. This is where, where the resting place of the ark came. This is where Yahweh made his presence to dwell in a fixed spot in a fixed location that all of the prayers and worship could be directed there forever for wherever they are wherever in the world this person this 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 israelite may find themselves if they turn toward jerusalem from wherever they are and they pray toward the temple that is where he makes himself known and makes his presence known and if you pray toward this location, he will hear you. This is where Isaac is almost sacrificed. There's a full circle going on in, 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 in the Solomon's building this temple and starting to offer sacrifices as substitutions, rams as substitutions for what Israel itself deserves as substitutionary sacrifices whole burnt offerings in exchange for their lives in the same way that God provided a ram in exchange for Isaac's life. And it's on this mount some thousands of years later just a stone's throw away from that mount. Just like Isaac had to carry the wood on his shoulder there came another son carrying wood on his shoulder, climbing up a mountain, doing so at the willing of his father and who did not wrestle against his father, but willingly was tied to the, the wood of the altar who willingly went who willingly offered himself but this time when the father laid the knife against his throat he did not remove it this time there was no ram to, to replace him this time Isaac replaces the ram this time the lamb that was slain is also the son the one and only, the only begotten one. As the fulfillment of the full sacrificial system, he is tied to the wood, but there is no angel that interrupts the sacrifice. He becomes the substitution. The son becomes the substitution. You don't need to force it. You don't need to force the Christ connection. It is all so natural. All you have to do is have a big picture 
is take the big picture view of how the whole of the Bible is, is, is working out and, and be willing to put in the work of making the connections. It's not that hard or it's, it's not that it's not impossible. Like we are certain, like you, you don't have to shortcut the process when you are confident that every text will eventually make its way to Jesus. But you just, you can't cop out by taking the easy allegory. Like I could have easily started with, oh, there's wood. Jesus was died, died on a wood cross. Oh, there's a son offered as a sacrifice. There's Christ is offered as a sacrifice. But without the connection, making the connection to the way the original hearers would have read it and the way that connected to the history of Israel, the way this text is used in later Israel. Because why does, why does second Corinthians mention the name of Moriah? Because they're trying to make that connection clear. That the place of the sacrifice is the place where Isaac was almost sacrificed. They're, they're, that's why you use that name. And when you see that, that this connection of, of the, the, the offered sacrifice in Jerusalem and the substitution of the ram for the son of the lamb for the, the, the people, then the connection to Christ is, is clear and it's unforced and it's natural. Now, not every text is going to work this way. Not every text is going to work this way in the, the kind of connection of images of, of, as they call it, typology. I think we, we, we sometimes force typology where it's not there. Sometimes we push the typology too far. Or sometimes we'll push the typology so far that we don't see that the typology is not the only reading. Like, remember, I emphasized that, that, that Israel is both Abraham and Isaac in the story. It is not an improper interpretation or application to ask, your, to ask the Christian reading the story, if God asks you to give up X, Y, Z, are you willing to do it? What are you willing to give up for the Lord? That's not an improper question. Absolute faith in the Lord Jesus, in the Lord God, absolute faith means trusting that when he asks you to give something up, that it's for its be- for the best and that it is going to be, that you're, it is going to be for his glory and your good. Like that's, that's not an improper application. We call that moralism, but that's a proper application and it's a proper, it's a proper Christ centered application. To say you are both the sacrifice and the sacrificer. And in light of what Christ has done is as your substitution, what are you willing to give up if he asks it of you? Like that's not an improper uh, application. Um, but but also like sometimes the text isn't, sometimes the, 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 the typology isn't the way. Sometimes with legal documents with legal documents like you get into the law of moses of exodus and of deuteronomy sometimes christ is the answer in the way that and 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 paul gives us the way that jesus is the center of that it's that you're going to get to the end of this text and you're going to search for it and you're going to search it out to its you're going to get to the heart of the the commandment and you're going to find that it's not just about the most simple reading of this about the most on the face reading of this law that it gets to a heart condition and is your heart condition right with god or are you guilty of the law you're the guilty of the law so what do you do with that guilt you nail it to the cross you offer up the sacrifice 
In the same way that in the Old Testament law, that when you what you do with your sin is you you put it on the scapegoat, you put it on the ram, you put it on the ox, and you nail and you 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 sacrifice that. In the same way, we nail that sin to the cross. So we're going to do it in different ways every time. Sometimes it's a tension that only Christ solves. Sometimes it's a type that Christ fulfills. Sometimes it's a direct prediction that Christ will fulfill. But we got to be able like, it's not as simple as either or original context or Christ-centered in, in, uh, interpretation. It's got to be both. We have to be able to do the work of say, what is the original hearer going to hear? And only then will the Christ-centered hermeneutic be natural and unforced and free of allegorization. But it's there. It's there. We trust that when Jesus said that all the scriptures point to me, that all the scriptures point to me, that we trust that he's right. That if we do the work and we follow it through all the way to the end, at the end of that path, we will see Christ. So, uh, we did a Bible study. <laughs> we got it back. The Anarchist Bible Study is doing Bible studies again. And um, uh, I, I hope this was valuable for you. I hope you enjoy, I hope it was encouraging to you by the way of, um, of, of seeing Christ. Um, I hope it was instructive to you as to how to to go about the work of connecting original meaning to Christ-centered uh, hermeneutic, Christ-centered application. Um, I hope you I hope you saw that it's eminently doable. That I wasn't making massive massive jumps, and I, and and the tool of Bible Hub I used that because I mean. I could, I could have made the, made the connections in my head because I knew these subjects, but I was using the Bible Hub to show you that you can use tools like Bible Hub to um, to come to to see these things, to see out these threads all the way to to where they lead to Christ. Um, it's eminently doable, and now more now than ever before, with all the resources at our fingertips in 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 the Bible or in in online Bible apps and things like that. Um, but I hope this was encouraging both to your faith and to your work as interpreters. And um, yeah, encouraging enough that you go ahead and like the video, subscribe to YouTube. Again, I'm going to make this push. I'm making this push all really until we get there. I really want to get our our YouTube subscriber count up to a hundred. Um, I haven't yet got to the point of begging random strangers on Twitter, but I will go there as well. Um, but we really want to get to a hundred so that we can mirror our channel on Odyssey. We want to diversify our holdings of our YouTube video of our, of our videos. We don't want to lose our, our whole catalog. If, if, if YouTube decides we said a naughty word or an unacceptable word and, and, and wants to kick us off. Um, but, uh, so, so we'd really appreciate it. Even if you're an audio listener, just go over there, subscribe. You don't have to click the, the notification bell. Um, you can, you can even click to the opposite. As long as you're listening, it's fine with us. Um, but yeah, go, go subscribe. We would really appreciate it. And, um, and, uh, but also, yeah, if you're an audio listener, 
Also, rate us five stars and uh, and follow us. And however you're partaking of this, share it with someone else. Share it with your friends. Share it with your Twitter followers now that Twitter is becoming fun again. Um, share it on Facebook, I guess, if you're still using that boomer. Just kidding. Uh, wherever you wherever you you share things, wherever you talk to people, um, tell them about our podcast. We'd really appreciate it. Um, if you really appreciate us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash flyover and really just one dollar a month. If if uh if you would do that, then it would be we would just we would greatly appreciate it. And you and we we will give you way too many goodies for what you're giving. Like the the the, the return on investment is massive uh, for your one dollar because we're going to give you access to our live stream, um, uh, which means you get to watch all of these things before all all of our episodes before anyone else gets to and in fact if you are a fellow night owl on uh on sunday evenings you can even watch it live and join us in the chat um or watch the chat or read the chat after the fact you can also get access to our secret discord server which is really enjoyable um you get to to hear our thoughts a little bit more unchained in fact i had um i have some thoughts that I've shared in our Discord recently that you're you're gonna want to hear, um, and uh, you get to go get to know us personally and talk to us more individually, and um, um, and yeah, and also you just get you just get that warm feeling of having supported uh, your favorite podcast or one of your favorite podcasts. I mean, like honestly, like you don't we don't have to be your favorite podcast to take a dollar a month from you. I'm just I'm just saying, like you know. Uh, but, but we really do appreciate if nothing else that you are here, that you're listening or watching wherever you are. And, uh, and so most importantly, join us again next week, especially because it's so much better when Jeff is here. Uh, so join us again next year, next week, (laughs) when we take anarchy to church here on the anarchist Bible study, grace and peace.